Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and tonight we have an excellent show lined up for you, where we'll be getting updated by our various uh, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on what is going on uh, in their particular corners of our Olympian universe. And I'm greatly honored to announce we'll be starting with Nicholas Dyack, scholar from the edge of time. Greetings, Nicholas. How are you? Uh, good evening, Hercules. I'm I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, keeping very uh, busy. Uh, there are actually more things happening that I have uh, attention for. So that's a good thing uh, to be experiencing. But I have to start uh, trimming back on some things so that I, I can get everything accomplished. So it's a good place to be. If I recall, you've been. Uh part of like the Tenafly board of something and you're part of a lot of community stuff over there. Yes, I love my community and uh, I'm currently um, the chairman of the Access for All Committee and that helps uh, with compliance with the Americans with Disability Act. So uh, we try to make our uh, borough accessible to uh, everybody. So uh, I do that. Uh, I'm on the Democratic County Committee so that means I help make uh, decisions as to who's running and, you know, what we're paying attention to uh, on the Democratic uh, side of things. Um, I recently uh, was running for council, but I wasn't accepted as a nominee. Uh, it doesn't mean that I won't still run, but uh, I wasn't accepted by the Democratic Party. And uh, I'm also the president of the Friends for the Kreskill Library. Um, I was recently... Uh, uh, elected to the Board of Trustees for the Tenafly Chamber of Commerce, uh, and I'm also a champion for the Tenafly Mayor's Wellness Campaign. So I try to keep busy, and those are things I care about a lot, so I, I try to give uh, as much uh, attention to them as I can. 
And if I recall, there was a news article about you in the last month or so about your library activities and doing RPGs with the kids. Yes, uh, that is something I've been doing for years since uh, Pennsylvania. And in Pennsylvania, we actually had a nonprofit organization that uh, did that. Uh, and in Pennsylvania, we were supporting literacy. And uh, um, here, we're supporting uh, more STEM literacy in that the uh, role-playing games that we uh, have, which are ancient Greek-related, uh, whether they be in ancient Greece or in outer space or in modern times, uh, but they uh, focus on supporting uh, STEM, which is science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics, um, so we could remain competitive in, in our world and uh, focused uh, on the future and creating a great future. Thank That's you. Super cool. And how about you? What have you been up to? Uh, personally or professionally? Um, both. You got cats. That's wonderful. I keep I keep looking at the pictures. You have gorgeous cats. Yeah. So so personally, you know, we've had our cats for almost two months now. They've been, you know, blessings. Uh, they uh, yeah. our our boy cat Algernon. He he plays fetch like a puppy, which is uh-huh. awesome. And uh, Cecily, you know, she was really, really shy. Now now she's just a big, you know, uh, love bug. She just plops down. She wants her belly rubbed. And so it's been really great, you know, having cats again. Um, so or that's about it, you know. So, we appreciate that. Well, it's the start of the year. So, you know, uh, getting to know our cats and getting started on new projects and everything. You know, December was kind of our... You know, let's, uh, you know, cool down, rewind a little bit, and unwind, I'm sorry. So January and February, we've uh, dived right back into our projects. Awesome. Can you share a little bit about what projects you're currently uh, um, exploring and working on, or is it uh, hush-hush until uh, you're ready to announce? No, no. I I would absolutely love to talk about them. Uh, They're both work in progress. I will have probably done this week. Another one I'll probably have done next month. So oh, I've got two things. Uh, I think I've alluded to them in the past. Now the time has come to work on them. So I'm working on a an essay on uh, cyberpunk and an essay on H.P. Lovecraft. So which one oh, do you wow. want to hear about first? Um, let's hear H.P. Lovecraft since we've, we've delved into those waters before. So uh, it'll be like taking a refreshing swim. <laughs> And okay. So this one's my definite. I just started work in progress on this one. Um, it's an essay I'll be writing about Lovecraft in the carnivalesque and using uh-huh. a comic book series called Vinegar Tea. So, hmm. uh, so I'm just learning about the carnivalesque now. So I'm going to be kind of going off the dome a little bit on this one. So. Uh, last year, I read a, a comic series from Dark Horse Comics called Vinegar Tea. And it's basically, the best way to sum it up is take the plot of The Color Out of Space and make it into a buddy cop movie. Okay. That's what they did. So basically, in this comic, it takes place in a city kind of uh, 1930s time. It, this is a total mm-hmm. farce alien being lands in a reservoir and he foils basically this uh you know a robber 
and he gets partnered, you know, uh, with another policeman. You know, he does such a good job. You know, this is just an alien from space. He's, he's got these tentacles coming out of his face, googly eyes. He looks like uh-huh. a big bug. He's really grotesque, but he's he's really friendly. And uh, the guy he's partnered with, is uh, he's an alcoholic. He sings really bad. He's always angry. So the last thing he wants to do is be partnered with this alien. Um but really what's going on behind the scenes is there's actually, you know, an alien invasion coming. And this, this monster is the first to arrive. And he doesn't know he's a bad guy. It's one of those, you know, you see a lot of movies where a person has, like, amnesia. Like, you know, they're teamed up uh-huh. with a good guy and it comes to I'm really the bad guy the entire time. I don't want to be a bad guy. Uh-huh. So, four-issue miniseries, you know, half of it is this, you know, lethal weapon-ish type uh, comedy uh, you know, two people trying to, you know, get along. They don't really get along. You know, hilarity ensues. But behind the scenes, there's this, uh, they don't call him Cthulhu. They call him Cthulhu or something, basically a parody of Cthulhu. You know, okay. he's uh, invading the earth. He's making everyone angry. Um, and they got to foil it. So I had a lot of fun reading the comic. I did reviews on this comic series last year at Fanbase Press and, but basically, if you boil down to it, it lifts very heavily from H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. And if you remember Color Out of Space, it follows, without the buddy cop elements, a, a similar plot. An alien lands in a well. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the people around him be transforms. You know, the, the land becomes gray. The people become insane and infected. Uh, so it's the, the gist of that. Forms the basis of this buddy cop comic. Um, what I noticed awesome. when I was reading it, it, it is, it's fun. You know, the original Color Out of Space is probably one of my favorite Lovecraft stories. You know, I wrote about it extensively in my essay that was published in Michelle's book, uh, The Horror in Space Book, where I talk about meteorite mm-hmm. horror films. Uh huh. So, as a Reading this comic, you know, the, the art style is extremely exaggerated. Everyone looks squiggly and bulbous. No one looks attractive. It's, everyone looks kind of gross. People swear a lot. And what it reminded me of was a concept called the carnivalesque. Now, the carnivalesque, and this is where I'm, I'm just still exploring this concept. It was something um, pioneered by... Uh, the Russian philosopher Mikhail Bakhtin. And he developed this idea of the carnivalesque that during the carnival, you know, basically uh, everything is reversed. Societal norms are disregarded. You know, people engage in gluttony and swearing. You know, if you were a, a king, you're no longer a king. The fool is now the king. Uh, roles are reversed. Uh, men become women, you know, through being transvestites uh-huh. are causing, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So basically during the carnival, basically everything is flipped. You know, th- things that are vulgar and grotesque are now embraced. Uh, but the, the big co- the idea is, is, is this the flipping of the norms. Um, okay. And reading the comic, um, Made me because I had attended a presentation that briefly talked about the carnivalesque and in that it, this to me reading this comic and um, rereading about the carnivalesque it seemed to fit 
Um, I have a book that I've checked out of the library called The Gothic and the Carnivalesque in American Culture. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, when I think of Lovecraft, I don't immediately think of carnivalesque. I think of cosmic horror. Lovecraft right. stuff is it's not really funny. It may be darkly funny at times, but it's not overtly funny. Uh, my initial readings of Lovecraft, I never think about, you know, societal norms being uh, overturned. Well, I'm reading this book by Timothy Jones, who's basically saying, no, there's there's some carnivalesque elements in Lovecraft. Take, for example, the Cthulhu Mythos. That's basically a parody demonology. You know, it's it's in a weird sort of way poking fun at, um, you know, a religion like that. And I never so, thought of uh, I, I never thought of it either. To me, you know, Cthulhu Mythos is just Cthulhu Mythos. I never thought of it as, yeah, a parody of demonology. And so with that in mind, uh, you know, I started kind of looking at, you know, what does the gothic carnivalesque have to say? And a lot of it is, it, it, in its own way, it is the overturning of stuff. Um you know, you, you initially read Lovecraft because of the cosmic horror, but the first and foremost about Lovecraft is you won't say it overtly. He's there to entertain. You know, these yeah. were stories published in the pulps and weird tales. They weren't made to initially be, you know, highly literate, you know, full of deep meaning. First and foremost, they were there to entertain. Right. And that's kind of one of the purposes of the carnivalesque. And so... Basically, I'm taking these three texts, um, The Carnivalist by Bakhtin, this book by Timothy Jones about the gothic carnivalist, and this Vinegar Teeth comic. And I'm basically saying this Vinegar Teeth comic is taking the kind of subtle, inherent carnivalesque elements of Lovecraft and amplifying it, putting it on the table. Here's what Lovecraft was hinting at with his literature. Here's, uh, here's the comic book that lays it bare that here's what's a mockery of, here's where the fun is, here's where things are upturned and overended. And so that's what I've kind of dived into recently, into that world, is trying to link all three of those texts up. Probably this time next month I'll be a little bit more solidified in my thesis of all that. But I think it would be an interesting idea to go because I don't think many people – I mean, when I initially started this project – this is the only book I could find that talked about Lovecraft and the Carnivalesque. And so, mm-hmm. you know me, I like to spread new ground that no one else has done yeah. before. So, uh, that's, so that's, that's that project. Yeah, I think it's exciting. I'm going to submit it to a, a horror journal, and that's uh-huh. probably going to be my first major academic publication uh, this year, I hope. So I'm excited awesome. for it. I just need to, to wrap my head around it because a lot of other, you know, uh, philosophies. I'm, I'm not very good at philosophy, to be honest. And so the carnivalesque, it's still new to me. I, I really got to hammer what that is so I could talk intelligently about it. Well, you've done an excellent job talking intelligently about it uh, right now. Uh, I certainly didn't uh, know these things, so you've uh, opened up my eyes to a whole new set of uh, um, uh, a new set of elements uh, blended together in a unique way that I'd like to explore. So I'm looking forward to your more well, informed exposition of it. Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. I'll definitely, hopefully this time next month, I'll have, you know, a rough draft of this essay uh, uh, composed and 
uh, ready to talk a bit more insightful with, you know, some more hard concrete examples. So again, this is this is still I'm in the research phase of it, jotting down notes, but it's been excuse me, it's been fascinating so far. It sounds very fascinating so far. I'm looking forward to its uh, publication and to learning more about it. And to your second category, uh, what's going on with that? All right. So the second one is, and I know we've talked previously on a podcast about uh, sci-fi and a little bit about cyberpunk. Um, yes. We, I, we like I cyberpunk. Love cyber. Oh, we love all that stuff. Yeah. I, you know, when I was a teen, you know, I'd read William Gibson and Neil Stevenson, you know, uh, Neuromancer and Snow Crash, and I thought they were phenomenal texts. You know, watching movies like The Matrix, Johnny Mnemonic, mm-hmm. uh, Blade Runner, of course, is one of the greatest films ever made. So I've always loved uh, cyberpunk. Um, but the only other thing I like more than cyberpunk is probably industrial music. And so uh, I say that because I recently not recently, maybe sometime last year, um, I came across a 1980s comic called Shatter. It's S-H-A-T-T-E-R. It's made in the mid-80s, and its claim to fame is it was the world's first digital comic. Uh, Hmm. Nowadays, you know, when people make comic books, you know, they might draw it by hand, they might draw it on a tablet, they'll open up Adobe, you know, do the drawings in there. Um, Back in the 80s, that, that, doesn't, that wasn't quite possible. You know, you had, you, you drew everything by hand. Uh, you, you did plates and other things for it. Well, Shatter was made by the very then new Apple Macintosh and uh, drawn right into it, right into whatever the paint program was in uh, Apple. Um, and it shows, if you look at the artwork, it's extremely pixelated, but it looks good. And uh-huh. it's a uh, it's a punk uh, comic that ran for about four years in the eighties. Um, it's really heavily derivative of Blade Runner. Um, the the main guy he's a he's a temp, meaning he bids on different jobs, and his name is Shatter. And the job he currently uh, occupies is he's a policeman. So he's basically you know Deckard. You know he bids on a contract to hunt down this uh, girl who murdered this board of directors and what's really going on is they're developing this uh, uh, technique to extract something called RNA which uh, it's not memories it's talent so basically you could take someone take their talent from them and inject them into someone else so like Hmm. won't teach you how to play a piano but if you knew how to play a piano you would now have this other person's talent to compose masterpieces Oh, wow. So basically, the gist of the comic is, you know, the, the main character turns out he's really receptive to this technique, and so everyone wants to get him. You know, the corporations want to get him. The police want to get him. The underground artists and mutants want to get him. And so he's kind of running around. You know, it's, it's you know, a typical cyberpunk city. There's flying cars. It's a dystopic cityscape. Um, so... Um, when I originally read the comic, I was drawn to it because of the, the novelty of it being the first digital comic. Uh, drawn uh-huh. completely in a Mac, printed out, you know, colored, and, you know, published. And But uh, what I said earlier about industrial music is, as I was reading the comic, 
you know, if you think back to Blade Runner, there's that iconic scene of the Coca-Cola ad on the side of the building. And this comic is no different. You know, it's full of advertisements everywhere. Well, I started to see kind of hidden as Easter eggs in all the buildings are names of industrial bands that I listened to. Uh, oh, wow. Bands like Deutschland, Front 242, Joy Division, uh, SPK, DAF, New Order. And I'm like, wait a second. They're hiding, you know, names of industrial bands. As advertisements do this, and, you know, it's obviously the, the authors having some fun, you know, hiding band names as advertisements, but it definitely caught my attention because, you know, a normal reader of this comic wouldn't pick up on that. It'd just be like, oh, those are ads. Well, I've been listening to industrial music since, you know, the Napster days of the 90s. It's like my genre of music. So immediately I, I got really drawn to this comic searching, you know, for all the industrial Easter eggs. And I, I started to compile them. I'm like, wait a second, it's in an essay uh, for this. Because industrial music is inherently very cyberpunk. You know, they, they wear goggles, mm-hmm. trench coats, they interface the man machine, and that sort of thing. So I'm like, okay, you know, just by happenstance, a concept of this essay landed on my lap. Basically, what does cyberpunk have to say about industrial music? And in turn, what does industrial music have to say about cyberpunk? And so I'm almost done with this article. I'm basically cataloging all the industrial references in here and kind of just spatting my observations. Like, like for example, you know, in this comic, all the industrial bands are ads. That, that indicates, you know, success and commercialism and um, capitalism or anacro-capitalism. Uh, at least in the reality of this comic, but but in real life, you know, other than the band like Nine Inch Nails, industrial music isn't successful. They never break into the mainstream. So I'm like, oh, well, here's this imagined future where industrial bands, or at least the illusion of them, is successful, but in real life, you know, it's not. So what does that, you know, say? That's kind of an interesting, you know, play. Uh-huh. Um, so that's done with getting that essay done. I'll be writing it for a website called We Are the Mutants. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. I wrote for them last year. What's that? I like that. We Are the Mutants. Yeah, they're great. They, they, they dive into Cold War pop culture, basically from World War II to when the Berlin Wall went down. They do a lot of paranormal and occult stuff. So it's probably totally your cup of tea. Uh-huh. So it sounds like you're into so some really awesome and uh, original things. Uh. Yeah, uh, I'll be glad to get these uh, two essays out the door. Uh, be glad to f- go back to doing some, some uh, sword and planet research. Uh, okay. I haven't read a sword and planet book, uh, The Tower at the Edge of Time. I'm still dangling in front of Michelle saying, you need to read this because we're Hercules' uh-huh. scholars at the edge of time. <laughs> Well, anything you do is scholarship from the end of time because you're the scholars from the edge of time. So it doesn't depend on your reading a Lynn Carter book uh, because you are the, the real thing. So anything you do is what you do. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. So, so I think that's about it for current essays. You know, I've still got some other stuff in the works, but, you know, I want to get these ones out the door. I think the only uh-huh. other kind of immediate is 
I had a, a 100 word story about Tiki Mugs and Lovecraft published or will be published in a, a month or so. And I had a, an article in a Tiki magazine come out. So those are always fun. It's nice to see all those little. And Michelle had an article in a Tiki magazine published too. So we're sharing uh, the TOC of a magazine together. So that's always great. Yeah, that is fantastic. Um, and you guys are very fortunate to have found each other because uh, uh, you're awesome. Oh, thanks. Well, I know there's about five minutes to go, so I don't want to, you know, take up Michelle's time. Uh, anything okay. else for me? Yes. Um, <laughs> I was actually thinking, um, does this time work for both of you in this day, the second uh, um, Monday of the month from 9 to 10? Uh, Eastern Standard Time. No, so, absolutely. You know, we get home from so work I, around like five and five fifteen. We'll just, you know, cram some food, dinner, gill it, and get ready to go. Okay, fantastic. So, how about we keep that uh, um, like set in stone for a while, and this way uh, there's less uh, uncertainty about the scheduling times. And also, both of you have recommended some really awesome people that uh, I just haven't had the opportunity to really explore and schedule yet, but I would like to. So how about during that uh, hour, uh, I really want to focus on you and Michelle and what you're doing, but how about every other episode uh, we focus on one of your friends and this way we can uh, um, highlight uh, and explore their work as well. Oh, absolutely. I know we've brought up, uh, you know, Michael Kogi, Joshua Henneman, Lee Murray, you know, they're all, you know, uh, Sword and Planet authors, or mythology authors, or Lovecraftian authors, authors. So I know that you would love to hear what they have to say, and they're great people too. They they seem great, uh, and they have your recommendation, which makes them even greater. So um, how about we do that for a while? We 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 have the same time in this way; it'll make it easier to schedule them. But I would love to uh, bring them into the mix as well, so we could uh, discuss that between shows. And you and Michelle are still very much a part of the science fiction uh, Star Trek uh, thing, and I'll be planning a whole set of new vocational episodes, and would like to have you back on uh, as well. So. Um, I'm looking forward to all our interactions. There's going to be many of them in 2019. Oh, we look forward to it, and we owe you characters, so we'll hopefully have that done early this week for you. It, it will get done when it gets done. I know I'm behind with some things uh, also, so don't worry about it. Um, okay, thank you so very much. And uh, what uh, I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song, and then we'll be back with uh, Michelle. All right, well, thank you so much for having me on, and have a great evening. You too. Thank you so much for being on, Nicholas, and uh, I wish you success in all your endeavors. Ah, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, We're going to play Odyssey by Becca Kelso, uh, and then we'll be back with Michelle, and we will find out where she's been, what she's been doing, and we'll get uh, more updates on cats, mummies, and ancient Egypt. Up ahead after all 
And welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Today is our special update night where we're catching up with all our regulars and seeing what they've been up to. Uh, our next um, luminary is Michelle Brittany, one of the scholars from the Edge of Time. Greetings and welcome, Michelle. 
Uh, greetings, Hercules. How are you this evening? I'm actually doing very well. Uh, very busy and uh, good busy with lots of uh, really interesting possibilities uh, floating around in the immediate horizon. So I'm very excited. Oh, that's wonderful. It's, it's been a while, so it's nice to be um, back on the show with you. Uh, I've missed you. <laughs> I've missed you guys, uh, too. And, in fact, I just spoke with Nicholas. Uh, if this time is good for you, uh, we could uh, set it as, like, a permanent time. And uh, both of you are still going to be on the science fiction show. And then there's, like, uh, theme shows like the vocational show that I'd like to have you back on again. And uh, uh, there's some other shows uh, coming up, too. So I'd like to make this more uh, regular. And uh, there's been so many things happening that I've kind of let the sledge, uh, scheduling uh, slip by. But now I'm on top of it again. So if you guys are free during this time, it's your time. And... Uh, also, both of you have been so kind to suggest uh, interesting guests, and I just have not had the opportunity to really explore them or talk to them, but I'd like to have them on. So if we could use this hour like every other month to have one of your guests on, um, and this way we could uh, basically plan the next six months and, and play with it. That's a wonderful idea, and uh, very much looking forward to it. Uh, Nick, Nick and I would very much be interested in facilitating uh, those special guests for you. I think it'll be uh, both interesting and, and very insightful to hear a lot of different perspectives. Yes, I think so too. And we still have our, um, what do you call Love, Lovecraftian dream specials uh, and all sorts of other things to plan. So, uh, and the planetary exploration. So th there's a lot to do in 2019. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, same here. Nicholas shared that both of you have been published uh, a bit uh, recently and that you're working on uh, projects. Um, I guess uh, now we'll uh, look at all that wonderful stuff from your perspective and what's been going on. Well, um, like uh, Nick mentioned during his, his half of the segment, um, we were sharing a table of contents on a tiki-related magazine called Exotica uh, Modern. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's exciting, uh, you know, a uh, new thing uh, that came out, I think, last week. Um, I did an interview with the uh, founder of House of Taboo, um, who happens to also be a, a earlier on was a comic book artist for Mr. X, series back in the 80s and so wow. it was very nice to yeah very nice to have an opportunity to interview him and talk about his designs um because he's very much obviously an artist and writer um so it's very very interesting to to chat with him and just get an idea of like where does he come up with ideas and you know what is the direction he's taking and you know why tiki because uh, tiki's really out there right now it's it's kind of at the forefront of that pop culture scene right now where we're seeing um you know mashups of tiki with pop culture um mm -hmm. i go to the yeah i go to the san diego comic-con each year and every year there's something new tiki related um mashed up with like uh you know, Marvel or DC heroes, um, you know, whether it be, you know, tiki mugs or uh, tiki bobbleheads and, 
you know, little statues and things like that. So it's very fascinating how it's really out there again. Yeah, that does sound fascinating. Yeah. Now, uh, the what, other thing. What is tiki? Like, what is tiki exactly? Because <laughs> I'm not. I'm not I'm not that familiar with it. <laughs> well, Tiki, you know, that's actually a better question for Nick, but I will endeavor to do half as good a job as he could. Um, tiki is a movement that was kind of originated back in the probably 20s to the 30s relating mm-hmm. to the Polynesian cultures. And okay. um, it, it's something that kind of picked up. Uh, particularly related to the drinks. So like you had Don the Beachcomber and, uh, yeah, Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vic, and they were really into making different uh, kind of, I'm going to say paradise drinks, you know. Okay. So it was really an influence of the, the South Pacific Polynesian cultures. Um and that kept escalating uh, into the 40s, into the 50s, um, and you saw it kind of match with the suburban uh, trend that we had in the 50s where, you you know, you had your homes, you had your white picket fence, and you had your tiki drinks, and, you know, it was a good time, and, you know, it was kind of like your, your own little paradise. Um, But in the 60s and kind of into the 70s, it drifted back away. Um, And now it's it's coming back into the fold. It's a very interesting uh, trend or cycle to watch. Um, And the fact that it's, it's, you know, pervasive into the pop culture and particularly the the superheroes, I find, you know, very fascinating how they're mashing over with that. Um, obviously, there's still all the tiki drinks and the tiki cultures. Uh, Nick and I uh, go to some of the tiki shows that they have here in SoCal. Um, obviously, we write about it. Um, so it's it's interesting. And uh, it's enjoyable. Nick uh, loves to make a lot of drinks, um, you know, try different things out uh, as he learns more about you know, the blending of different alcohols and the rums and things like that, what what works together and kind of understanding that kind of theory behind the different drinks and what they all mean and how do they all work together and what is that taste going to be like. And, uh, you know, I would imagine eventually he'll be, you know, uh, designing his own drinks. So. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So as you explained it, I understood that I knew more about this. Yeah. I, Cause I, I thought I had something to do with the original tikis from Polynesia. And uh, I remember when I knew many Polynesian people and uh, was had the opportunity to interact with them a lot. I asked about the tikis and like got all sorts of uh, information that was uh, not standard you know are not commonly known about uh, the tikis and what they represented and how uh, one of the stranger stories I heard was that uh, um, Polynesian sorcerers uh, were in, uh, were making black tikis 
that were cursed and uh, they were inexpensively sold throughout the United States. And there was all sorts of stories around the tiki's. So uh, um, I didn't know anything about the, the drinks had symbolism too, but uh, uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, and definitely they have their origin stories, and I'm just starting to read a little bit more about their origin stories related to, um, you know, their creators. They had a a male and a female, um, you know, gods, and kind of how they all interacted. It it kind of really reminds me of ancient Egypt and, you know, uh, ancient Greece. Ancient Greece and, and uh-huh. uh, Roman times, gods and the goddesses and the, the drama between all of them and, you know, all the different kind of intrigue that was going on. You know, it's, it's they had the same kind of, you know, origin activity going on that we see in our ancient religions or ancient uh, civilizations. The, the same is true of the Afro-Caribbean uh... Uh, spiritualities uh, as well, that uh, they have managed to uh, preserve a lot of ancient mythical material, uh, living mythical material, um, and kind of uh, um, fitted into Catholicism, uh, which they were forced to accept when uh, they were slaves. Uh, and managed to preserve aspects of the African culture that had even disappeared in Africa. So um, it, it's a very interesting story, and uh, the tiki's certainly would be very similar. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to what you guys discover and uh, uh, expanding my mind, certainly, with uh, your explorations. Yeah, I think there needs to be a uh, sword and planet tiki crossover or something there down you the road. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the guys to do it. So. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And, well, uh, you were asking... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I go ahead. Of cats, and uh, um, the cats look beautiful, and uh, what do you call it? And, and they look very happy where they are. So I'm very glad that you have the two uh, cats in your life. Oh, we are two. They, oh, they're wonderful. I can't say enough. They're 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 great cats, as Nick mentioned. Uh, Algernon likes to play fetch. Somehow you uh-huh. just pick that up, you know, and uh, we have these, like, really cute little pom-pom balls that are kind of soft, and uh, uh-huh. we just toss them, and he runs after it and brings it back, drops it in our laps or in our hands or right next to us, and throw it out again. He, he loves it. Um, he is actually going to be turning six months old. On this Friday, so we're wow, very happy, excited. Happy birthday. So, yeah, celebrate his birthday. And um, Cecily uh, just turned seven months um, yesterday, in fact. So she's seven months, and he'll be six months. Um, she likes to, I, I call, she likes to play speed bump, which is basically she will flop down in front of you and wait for you to give her attention. And she's mm-hmm. so adorable when she, that, you know, she'll, she'll flop down onto her side and then she'll often kind of, kind of flip her, her upper, her head, her neck and her front, front paws 
just enough uh-huh. so she's slightly laying on her back, and she'll look up at, at you with her big eyes, like, well, come on now, aren't you going to give me attention? It's, it's, so, of course, we do. You know, we have to. You know. Of course. So, so um, they, they, they are, I'm going to say, properly worshipped. Um, awesome. They've got us would be very, very uh, happy and well-pleased with, with our abilities to worship our cats. So uh-huh. um, I think all all is right in, in this household with regards to the kitty. <laughs> that, that is fantastic, and it, it is as it should be. <laughs> it, yes, it is as it should be. Well, uh, so, you know, other – oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. So the other thing that um, Nick and I have been working on uh, has been finishing up our um, anthology on horror studies, and we're mm-hmm. coming along nicely with that, and that should be off to the publisher uh, at the end of this month um, at the latest, and so we're very excited about that. Um, so that's kind of winding down. We have a few uh, bits and pieces to finish up on that, but that's coming to a close. But that's you know, stuff that uh, I've been spending some time on as well as Nick. Um, But uh, more towards what's near and dear to my heart, which is, of course, ancient Egypt and mummies and, of course, cats, which we've we've touched Uh on. I've been doing, actually, um, some reading, and um, I have a colleague at work who's Egyptian, and um, she's... uh, not sure if she's actually, I think she's originally from Egypt, and um, she just started uh, where I work within the last, uh, I would say, like two or three months, and she actually uh, recommended a book to me uh, okay. from an author by the of Christian Jacques, and uh, he is a French Egyptologist and author, and he wrote a five-book suite back in the mid-90s, about Ramses the Great. Hmm. And so she lent me uh, her first volume uh, called uh, The The Sun of Light uh, that was written back in 1995. What's interesting um, is I like these kind of books a lot because they can really give you some insight into what that world might have looked like. You know, we kind of get, as researchers, bogged down, you know, in, in the facts, and sometimes we lose sight of kind of what might the visual be like. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do like to step back and read some of the historical fiction that is out there. Um, so I actually found his book uh, very interesting. Um, the first book covers uh, from the time he was, Probably like um, like preteen to uh, ascending uh, the throne, and okay. um, so it talks about that. There's a, there's you know some creative uh, licensing that it takes place. Uh, you know he has a uh, you know a conniving brother uh, and a conniving sister. Uh, there's attempts on his life. Uh, you know, by his siblings and things like that. Um, so, you know, we don't know enough as to whether that's really true or not, but, you know, it makes for a good story. 
Um, but what I really like is it just kind of follows and gives a, a, an idea of what maybe his, you know, childhood was like um, and what it was like to be groomed uh, to become Pharaoh. And hmm. um, unfortunately, um, so I did a little reading to see what some critics have said. Um, these books tend to be dismissed as ro- as what quote uh, romantic potboilers. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you. Other than one, well, there's two relationships mentioned. So Ramses has a mistress uh, when he's in his teenage years, and then there's um, a woman that a young woman that he meets that he has an interest in, and he eventually marries her, um, and his mistress becomes his second wife. And, um, you know, I didn't find that to be all that romantic potboilers. Um, I thought uh, that Jacques actually did a nice job really giving a a more well-rounded picture of what Ramsey's young life might have been like. Um, so I thought he got, I thought got a little bit of a bad rap on that. Um, he's actually written some other uh, series based on ancient Egypt, um, as well as a few nonfiction books. Uh, what I found interesting is that the reason why he wrote about Ramses is that that's a pharaoh that he is like very very interested in, um, mm-hmm. but he also is. It described it as being so excited and really wanting to share his passion for ancient Egypt. And I can't fault him for that. <laughs> no. Yeah, that, that's an so, interesting. Why would they? That, that doesn't make sense that they would have it done as a romantic pop boiler. No, I don't either. Maybe, uh, you know, and. I'm I'm going to be honest. I read the first volume. I haven't read the other four, so I don't know if maybe those become a little more heavy on the romance. Um, but I honestly felt like the first book was was uh, well written. Um, I would say though that he didn't spend a lot of time uh, developing uh, descriptions of like the world itself. Mm-hmm. But. I was actually talking to my colleague about this, um, and that the because she she had noticed that you know there didn't seem to be a lot of description and world building, and I said you know honestly I didn't think about it because I visited a lot of these places. So for me, um, between what I've been researching, pictures I've seen, what I've actually you know personally have experienced uh, by visiting Egypt, I I didn't feel like my reading was less enriched by not having those descriptors, but I could understand others who may not be as familiar with Egypt and ancient Egypt uh, might find that a little lacking. Okay. Um, so another book that I've just read over the well, the last couple of weeks um, is Bob. Um, there's a book called The Murder of Tutankhamen. It was uh, written back in 1999, 
and uh, he is an American Egyptologist specializing in paleopathology. Had to look mm. that up. It is the of ancient diseases. Um, okay. It's actually it's an older book, um, and it's dated because. Um, Probably, I think it was about six years later. We actually, uh, through CT scans, we were able, you know, they've been able to determine that his death was actually accidental. But I, I like these older books because even though not all of his hypotheses are actually valid now, he does uh-huh. put forth a lot of the political stance and social stances of Tutankhamun's time and what he lived in and kind of like what were different factors that were coming in and impacting his his reign. You know, for instance, you know, I being, uh, you know, kind of an, um, an overseer and an advisor, you know, and, and uh, uh, Dr. Bear actually hypothesizes that uh, Pharaoh I is actually the one that, that probably had something to do with Tutankhamun's death, um, which, of course, we now know, you know, it was an, probably most likely an accidental death. But he also hypothesizes that his Tut's wife may have been bumped off, basically, um, and that there might have been some other activities, uh, you know, uh, deceptive activities like uh, the killing of the um, Hittite uh, prince uh, that came to hopefully marry uh, Tut's wife. Um, and and actually, I wanted to talk to you about that um, because okay. um, in the book, uh, Bear talks about how Anaxanamun, um Tut's wife, after his death, she wrote a couple of letters to the Hittite king mm-hmm. asking him to send a prince that she could marry um, because she did not want to marry a servant of Egypt, which um, bears mm. she referring to Pharaoh I because he was much older than her, um, you know, and that she was trying to maneuver um, the, uh, you know, a, a prince to marry rather than Pharaoh I that eventually took over. Now, what was said in the book is that the letters uh, were written, I believe, in Arcadian language, which I thought was actually really interesting. And mm-hmm. so I did a little, and that that was the, uh, language or kind of the common or bridge language uh, in the Middle East during that time. And I thought that was very fascinating um, and wanted to hear your aspects about it. I mean, I know we don't have a lot of time, but maybe it's something we can talk about another time. That, that is definitely um, something we want to talk about. And I'm reminded of the Scorpion King, uh, the uh, Mummy Returns and then the Scorpion King where the Akkadians uh, played a part. And at the time, I, I didn't know that this had basis in historical fact. And uh, now you've just informed me that it did. So it'd be interesting to explore that. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's a language that eventually went out of favor. But the fact that this this language and, you know, that 
and like you, I thought back to the Scorpion King and, um, you know, Mummy 2 and things like that. And the fact that this was a very important language, you know, and being able to, you know, bridge between all the various uh, civilizations at that time is very fascinating that, that this language has such prominence. Um, so I just, I thought of you when I read that. I'm like, oh, I've got to talk to Hercules about <laughs> um, I have contact information for both uh, you and uh, Nick on the, the Facebook. Uh, I have your Facebook uh, page. I have your uh, your um, Musings on Mummies uh, blog. Uh, and I believe I have both of your Amazon pages. Um, is there any other contact information you care to share for yourself and uh, Nick? I'll, I'll gladly add it to the um, to the listing. No, I think you've got uh, mine for now. I am trying to go through the process of updating, and and I've taken a little hiatus on Michelle's musings on mummies that okay. I will be getting back to shortly. Um, and I know for Nick, he can be reached at is it Nick or Nicholas? Nick Dyack. Nick Um He keeps his up to date religiously, so um, you can I always find that. all of his links through that. Um, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and, and all the usual things. Fantastic. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you both again next Monday uh, when we have our, our Star Trek show. And uh, I am glad that we connected today. I'm looking forward to uh, interacting uh, again uh, as per our schedule. So thank you so very much for being guests on the show. You guys are awesome. Uh, and I will talk to you very soon. Well, thank you so much, Hercules, and uh, thank you to your listeners that, that tune in all of the time and, and have an interest. Uh, it keeps uh, us going. So thank you so much, Hercules. Yeah, have a wonderful day. Thanks, you um, too. Thank you. Um, we're now going to listen very quickly to Evolve by Bone Poets Orchestra, and then we'll be back with Ryan Foley.
it, it is. There are times where I wish it wasn't quite as as crude as it uh, as it can be, but I think that uh-huh. there is something that is quite genius about the show in where they take so many of those wonderful elements of, of science fiction and uh, that, that we've come to know, and they can go through and they can they can turn them on their head, and then at the same time, you know, they can go through and present uh, almost a fresh perspective with something that we've seen time and time again. And so it's, it's rare. I think whenever you go through that, because I will admit that um, the animation does tend to be a, a bit crude. It's maybe not something that I would recommend for your entire audience. Uh, no. There are times where I'm even nervous about my kids watching it and they're, and they're legal adults. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think the jokes are fantastic. I think it's an absolutely fantastic show. And it's one of those rare things where a cartoon can really make you stop and think about the grand cosmic scheme of things. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I'm looking forward for season four whenever it comes out. I'm looking forward to exploring it. Uh, I, I had seen like a YouTube clip or two um, because you had it on your uh, Facebook page. And then uh, we were shopping this weekend and um, someplace, I believe it's Target, had the first two seasons for $20. Uh, so uh, so I got a, that. Not a bad little investment. No, no. And then we went to Best Buy, uh, and Best Buy's had like entire seasons of recent stuff for ten dollars each. And uh, Rick and Morty season three was one of the the seasons that they were selling. Uh, so uh, um, I haven't opened them out of the plastic yet, but yeah, I watched a few more YouTube videos. So uh, I'm going to be exploring them in the weeks ahead. Good. I hope you Good. enjoy. I hope you enjoy. Well, I like portals and you know going to other dimensions. You know, I think very multidimensionally, and uh, I enjoyed Mighty Max in the past. I don't know if you remember that cartoon. No, I'm not familiar no, I'm not with it. But if if you do enjoy the alternate dimensions and and things of that nature, then yeah, Rick and Morty is going to be really is going to be right up your alley. So we'll probably do a show on it at, at some particular point in time. I'm sure you could. Yeah. Um. Now, I've been giving a lot of thought to uh, matters of uh, legend and legacy uh, because I'm 60 and uh, I know that most of my life is uh, behind me um, because I I doubt if I'll make it to 120. So uh, um, that brings up a lot of uh, things to think about in terms of, you know, why am I here? How would I like to be remembered? Uh, how would I like to change the world to make it a better place for my kids and my grandkids? We've talked about this uh, uh, before. And uh, without giving away too many uh, details, because I really like your concept, uh, so I don't want to share it. Um, I want to work on it with you. You sent me an idea for a comic book. And uh, right. I have been in, in comic books before. Uh, I've inspired several characters that made it into uh, comic books. Um, somebody contacted me that they made me a character in one of their books, the first uh, um, a part of which uh, they published on Kindle uh, this week. So I do make I, I do influence popular culture somewhat uh, in my life's uh, journey. But what you suggested was uh, you know very different, uh, and I believe very uh, powerful. So uh, it got me thinking even more about matters of uh, legend and uh, legacy. Uh, so 
when I had uh, like to make choices this year in terms of where I want to put my time and where I want to put my uh, energy and my creativity, um, your offer uh, definitely was there like in the top 10 all along. Uh, and it made it to like the five things I really want to work on this year. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and sure. uh, I, I figured you know, let's talk about legend and legacy uh, some more because uh, we're both the types of people who are inspired by heroes and uh, the tales of heroes uh, has influenced us in the, how we live our lives and also, um, we're both involved in heroic storytelling you know, of some sort. You, you've involved yourself in one way, I've involved in, myself in another, uh, and there are some overlaps. Um, but uh, that, that it, the heroic tales of old and the heroic tales we grew up with uh, have definitely impacted us in how we live our lives. So I want to hear more of your thoughts on this topic and share some of my own. I figured that would make a great uh, conversation. Sure, yeah. Well, so what I can do is I can explain just a little bit for your readers uh, about my history, a little bit of my history and where I come from. Uh, okay. So uh, I, I was very, very early on in my, in my life. I knew that writing was something that I wanted to do. I, I honestly believe that each one of us has a destiny that we are supposed to fulfill. And, and in fact, I wrote this story. I think that's the reason why I was so drawn to the story of Perseus, which is, is one of the graphic novels that was made available through yes. uh, Campfire, uh, Campfire Books. And, and I wanted to tell that story simply because I do believe that each and every one of us, we all have our own talent. And it's, it's about uh, harnessing our, our authentic self. And sometimes that's a matter of stripping away all the, the stuff that you're not supposed to have so that way you can be focused towards that goal. So I actually started out uh, very early reading comic books, and I wanted to initially be an artist. And so I went through and, and I was developing my artistic skills but I learned mm-hmm. very quickly that I did not have I did not have the chops to go through and uh, and and draw professionally at a comic uh, in a comic book. Um, so it's I mean it's something maybe I could have got there, but instead I, I shifted instead to to the writing aspect, and I found that I enjoyed it that much more. Now I do feel that because I did want to start out as an artist, I approached my comic book strips with a certain artist frame in mind. You know, where it's, uh, I'm very cognizant of what you know I'm asking the 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 artist to, to do. So uh, whenever I made the shift and I decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to tackle this thing and I'm gonna be a, a comic book author. And so what a lot of people don't see are all the hard work that has to go into trying to, to get published and, and different authors have different ways that they break into the comic book industry. There is no one set way to break into the industry. Now uh, this was back, I want to say, Oh, it would have been uh, about the mid nineties where I was really making a push. Cause I wanted to get in with, it was an imprint called Wildstorm comics. Uh, Wildstorm was part of image comics. Uh, and was the, the fantastic artist Jim Lee. That was his house that he developed basically inside Image Comics. It was Wildstorm. And Wildstorm was really the company that I wanted to go to work for. I liked their characters. I liked their art style. And I just, I wanted to be, a, I was a fan. 
and so I wanted to work mm-hmm. for them. And so there, there was an editor there by the name of Drew Bittner, and he, he gave me just you know, some fantastic advice in one of his response letters that he sent back to me. That's how far back this dated is that I wasn't sending emails to him. I was sending physical letters you know, and, and samples, uh, scripts to them. Uh, so he was very nice. He took the time out of his day to, to write me back. And said, you know, hey, you're doing everything you can here. You know, you've got some talent. It's not quite ready yet, but you're getting there. But you just need someone to, to open the door. And once you get someone to open the door, then that's it. You're in. And so I, I kept slogging and I kept slogging. And it took a, a good solid 10 years before someone was willing to open that door to me. Uh, and that company happened to be MV Creations, and they're, because they had the licensing rights to Masters of the Universe. It was mm-hmm. the same scenario. I was a fan of Masters of the Universe as a kid. I was a fan of the relaunch that they did back in 2002. And so I just, you know, I started, you know, knocking on the door saying, hey, I'd really like to write for you guys. And so uh, I was very lucky in 2004 to have my very first comic book published. It was published in, uh, it, through MV Creations. It was that Masters of the Universe comic book. And that's when I made the transition. And mm-hmm. th- that transition is so tremendously powerful for someone because now you're no longer a writer. You're an author. Now you can go through and you can say, I've got a published piece of work, and then I could take mm-hmm. that to future, to, to future publishers and go, hey, I've done this, this, and this. So it's not too different from when, uh, you know, my dad used to say, when you go in for a job interview, they take all the people with college educations in one hand, and they take all the people with uh, high school educations in, in the other hand. They take all the applications that are high school diplomas, they throw those in the trash, and then they start sorting through the ones with the, the college education. So to me, it's, it was kind of something similar. You can go through, and once you've got a published work, then you can come back to an editor, and you can say, I've done this project, and I've done this project. And that tends to breed a, a little bit of faith with because, oh, well, he's a professional. These people have given him a chance, so let me go through and let me give them a chance. Well, with all of my books, it was one project led to the next, and it was my work and my dedication in that project that led to the next one. And uh, you know, so and and then it got me into to where I am today, where I do have a, a small number of of published works, and so I have my own page on Amazon.com. That that is a little something that I I mean, it's I'm, I'm proud of. You know, the fact that I can look back and I can say, hey, I have these books. And out of all the books that I've created, probably the ones that have reached the largest audience are the same ones that drew you to, to, my, to, to my whole writing career. And that's the, the myths and the legends Myth, that I yes. did through Campfire. So because of that, I can look back on it. And so if, if we're really talking about legacy, it's, it's an odd thing to be able to say, because, I mean, obviously my greatest legacy without a doubt, hands down, are, are going to be my kids. Uh, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the real legacy that all parents want to try to, you know, aspire and, and hope. And I just want my kids to do better, you know, than, than I've had the opportunity to. But then it's a, at the same time, I've got, on the other hand, I've got this writing project, this writing dream that I've had since I was, you know, for as long back as I can remember. And then to be able to go through and say, this is literally something now on the book that can outlive me. And mm-hmm. 
man, that's that's really cool to think about because now, and now I'm I'm 44, and even I will even tell you, well, you know, there's kind of there are times that once in a while I start to think, well, you know, maybe the, maybe I do have more years behind me than I do ahead of me, but yet now I have this this body of work, which I'm not mm-hmm. done by any stretch of the imagination. But I do right. have these small stories that can go through here, and, and they can go through, and they can outlive me. And to me, that I think that's just something really cool. I, I seriously doubt that when J.R.R. Tolkien was sitting down to write The Lord of the Rings that he knew what an impact those stories would have for countless fans across countless generations at this point. Now, I mean, it's just – to me, that's really amazing. And so I have my small little pocket – that uh, that I'm very proud of, and to me that's that's part of my legacy. And and if that is, and if it's that one story, and again, it, it all goes back. I know we've talked about this before, but to me, it all goes back to that that idea of if I can reach that one kid, you know, right. that one kid who's having a really tough time in his life, and he's reading one of my stories of of a heroic adventure, and he, and if he can take that into his heart and say, you know, even though I I know everyone likes to throw around the, the whole memes uh, yeah, about how, you know, uh, not all heroes wear capes. And, yeah, and that's fine. I get that. But my heroes, they do wear capes. You know, right. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of those larger-than-life superheroes. And th- there's a part of me that would love to be able to emulate what those heroes stand for. And so if a kid can go through and he can read that story and he can say, you know, man, I, I read this book, Legend, that, that this guy wrote, and he, he doesn't even have to know me. That's, that's fine, because it's the message that's important. It's, it's not me. So if that kid comes away from that story going, man, I read this story about Hercules, and it was awesome, and he didn't give up, and he didn't, you know, he didn't give in, and so I'm going to try to emulate him. I'm going to try to try to be like him in this story. Then, then my job is done. You know, it's it's that it's those ripples in a pond that we don't really know how far our influence goes, and or it's it's planting a seed, and I don't even I'm not even going to get to see that plant grow into what it becomes. Mm-hmm. But if I can provide a little bit of that water, you know, a little bit of that fertilizer to help that uh, to help that seed grow, then I've done my job, and that's my legacy, and I think that's a, that's a legacy that I can be proud of. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I have a backup phone here in case the uh, system crashes oh. and somebody called me uh, during this time. So sure. I'm sorry sure. for the noise in the background. No, that's okay. Um, okay, let me... <laughs> live radio. Live radio. Okay. Yes, live radio. Hello? <laughs> Hi, can I, can I help you? Yes. Hi, Autumn. Right now I'm hosting a show. Can you call me back at 11 o'clock? I'll call you back at 11 o'clock, okay? Okay, be well. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, Again, my apologies, but uh, onwards. No no problem at all. yeah, I see the same. I have children also. They're, they're my living legacy. And uh, um, I have been fortunate in, um, with, my, uh, with my eldest son, 
um, when he was little, uh, when I was still married to his mom, you know, when we used to go around wherever we went, um, people would stop and thank me for helping them with something. And at that point, I was uh, a therapist and I was also working uh, uh, patient relations in like a hospital, you know, so I was in a people helping uh, a position or different people helping positions. And uh, so I got to, you know, help people to the best of my ability officially and get paid for it, which was, you know, great. Um, but wherever we went, um, somebody would stop and, uh, what do you call it, uh, thank me for something. So, you know, I, I told them you're welcome and, you know, and stuff like that. But my, my son um, was very surprised when he discovered that not everybody's uh, dad gets thanked everywhere they go. Okay, right. <laughs> so, I'm with you. That was normal to him, you know, uh, and he's turned out to be an awesome kid who's, who's very good and, um, you know, he's, uh, he's a benefit to all the people around him. But uh, I was glad to be able to, you know, give that to him, even though it's not something I directly gave him. It was something uh, indirect. Uh, but he got to see that, you know, that basically you know, people appreciated, you know, if you did stuff uh, for them. Um, and I know that uh, from being a therapist for many years, I know that sometimes uh, when I put my best work in, you know, where I put my, uh, myself in there, it didn't produce any result. And then other times I was kind of like just, you know, doing the job at hand, but I was distracted. And people would stop me years later and told me like what a uh, phenomenal influence I had on their, on their life. You know, so I knew that it wasn't just me. It was, you know, if someone's ready to receive some sort of help, if you're there uh, for them and, and give them the help that, uh, that basically, uh, you know, they will appreciate it and, uh, you know, comment on it. And sometimes you're not even aware um, people who've listened to these uh, shows um, have like told me that, what effect uh, some of the topics we've dealt with on the shows have had, or uh, the way I handle things, or uh, something my, you know, my guests uh, have said uh, that impacted their lives. So this encourages me to keep doing it. So uh, um, this journey is a work in progress. Right now I'm sitting at my home, at my computer with my phone in case something glitchy happens to my computer uh, that I can continue the show within a couple of minutes. Uh, but still, I get, I, I get stopped by uh, you know, many people uh, locally and uh, through uh, different communication devices telling me what this, these conversations mean to them. So I, I think I, I, one of the things that I, that I find just absolutely fascinating is that so many of us, and, and we're all guilty of this, we all, but we all live in a meist world. We all live in a world where we are the center of our own universe. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I just reached out to a friend of mine today who was struggling, and so I went to them quietly because I, I do believe you, you criticize in, in private. And you praise in public, you know, but, but then there are times where you just need to pull that person to the side and say, you know, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm proud of you and, and right. that I believe in you. And, and so there was this one person, uh, they just, they were going through a bit of a struggle, and I just reminded them that the only person that we go on this entire journey with is the person that you see across from the, in the mirror, you know, as, yeah. as much as, as I, as as I hate to, you know, to think about it, but, but it's, it's inevitably going to happen. We're going to lose parents. Uh, relationships are going to end. Friends are going to move on. Uh, even your kids will grow up and they're going to develop their own lives. And, and my mom lives. had a, had, yeah, had they, she had a real struggle with that whenever she realized that uh, I had, had left the family 
to, to take care of my own family. And she, so she struggled with that, you know, for, for a little while where I wasn't, you know, she wasn't in, in the center of, of my world anymore. But so mm-hmm. that one person that you go through your entire world with is just going to be you. And so there are times where you have to, you have to, you have to be happy with that person that you are in the mirror. Now, and this person, of course, you know, they thanked me and, and, you know, they appreciated my, you know, my kind words, all that sort of stuff. But it's, since we live in this meanest world, it's, it's very hard for us to see how, how far our influence stretches to someone. I mean, to, to that person, for me, it was a couple of messages that I bounced back and forth. How, whatever the time it was it took for me to type those messages out was all that it cost. And right. to that other person, that message could have been the world. You know, that could have been the difference between life coming along and, and placing a straw on their back that literally was going to be the last straw. You know, so I, just, to me, I think if we have an opportunity to do something like that, to help our fellow man, I, not only, I mean, not only should we do that, I think we're required to do that. And I believe so the same. In, in, in what you're telling me, how you, you know, dealt with all this stuff, with, you know, with being the, the therapist and, and helping people, I mean, that's where it, it, I, I hope that's your legacy. I hope that people will look back and, and say, man, you know, this guy, you know, he, he really helped me through times and, and even indirectly. So there's going to be people out there that you're going to help and you don't even realize it. And maybe they write you, maybe they don't. Maybe you just have to throw it out there into the universe and say, you know, do with it what you will. But so I think that's fantastic. And so it, it sounds to me like the two of us are really we're running along the same parallel path as far as yes. because that's that's what I want to do with my stories is, is I just want to tell a heroic tale that I think that that hopefully someone can learn a lesson from and go, hey, you know, that's that's a pretty good story. That's that's not a bad little template for me to, to live my life by. So I'd say, yeah, I'm going to go along and do something like that. I, I think things like that are, are really, really cool. I think so too. And just like you were a fan and uh, you reached out, I was a fan of yours and I reached out. Uh, initially, I had read your Hercules uh, because I, I collect like every iteration of Hercules I could find. Uh, and then sure. I became aware of your other books. So I contacted your uh, publisher, Campfire, uh, to ask for a few review copies. Uh, they sent me an extra Hercules, even though I had that one. So I gave that away as a prize uh, at our role playing games that we do at the, the library. And uh, that was the first prize that went. When I had all these prizes, and I had like role-playing games and board games and all sorts of stuff, uh, the first prize chosen was your graphic novel. <laughs> so, um, and that led to our having these uh, conversations, and people have already commented on how much uh, they got from listening to us speak about various uh, topics, because a lot of people have dreams uh, but they don't feel uh, or they've been conditioned to feel that they can't follow those dreams, that they're not good enough, uh, that uh, nobody cares, nobody's interested. In, and hearing your process, hearing your journey, hearing your challenges, you know, inspired them to say, hey, I can you know, do that. I made my movie uh, because Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma showed me that anybody can make a movie. <laughs> I enjoyed Troma's quirky humor, but the movies weren't that great. And I figured I could do at least as good as this. 
Uh, and I've had Lloyd on when I had my other uh, podcast years ago. Uh, Lloyd was a freaking guest. Uh, Lloyd was a guest on my TV shows. Um, he showed uh, uh, part of my movie at the, the uh, film festival. So uh, there, too, I, I was a fan, and uh, he basically dared people to make movies. He even made a series of uh, media called Make Your Own Damn Movie. Okay. So that okay. was the encouragement I needed, and I made my own damn movie, and it was a lot of fun. I haven't made another one yet, but I will one day. Um, but yeah, the, these, this encouragement, I know it's encouraged me interacting with other people, and uh, the interactions we're having here, they touch other people. So uh, just in, in processing and sharing and uh, encouraging others, um, I, I think the value of that legacy and that uh, lives on through the words and even if people forget our names it doesn't really matter that encouragement uh, that technique that insight planted a seed that'll grow up and become theirs and it doesn't really matter where they got it but like you I believe that you know we do have a responsibility uh, to help other people as much as we can and all, all I can is to, to bring it back into a world that, that I understand and that I relate to you know, there's so many just uh, amazing filmmakers out there that are my age, and they grew up watching the same stuff that I watched whenever I was a kid. And so as a result, we're getting all these amazing movies out there yes. that are influenced by the same thing. And so, yeah, so I, I understand completely what you're talking about as far as, you know, it's, it's amazing how far uh, just that simple little amount of inspiration can go to someone. And so... Uh, I, I know we're, as always, I know we're running out of time here fast, uh, but, if, but if there is a message that I could get out to people that are listening to this uh, as, as we're closing up here, you know, I do think that there is a cultural shift that's happening. I know that there's a lot of people out there that, uh, that, that want to complain about the millennials and, and how things are all going downhill. I don't see it that way. I see us uh, standing on, on the cusp of greatness where now it's people are more inclined to follow their hearts. And then by doing that, hopefully they can go through and make a little money, you know, out of it. They're, they're less interested in, in working at a desk in the, you know, in a cubicle and they're more inclined to go out and, and chase a dream as opposed to solely, you know, chasing after a paycheck. And so if, if you can do that safely and, and still take care of your kids and still take care of your duties and your responsibilities, I think you'll find that pursuing a dream like that just makes you so much happier as an individual. And when you're happier as an individual, you're better as a human being. So by all means, if you can do it and, and hopefully make money at it, then the world's your oyster. And I encourage everyone to go through and, and chase their dream. And I can think of no more powerful words than the segment with the, the ones you just uttered. So thank you very much, Ryan. Um, I look forward to our next conversation. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate being on. Okay, we're going to listen to a song, Cry Freedom, by Bob Pote's Orchestra, and then we'll be back with Timothy Esty.
Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Our next guest is Timothy Espy of Level One Games. Uh, greetings and welcome, Tim. How are you? Good evening. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. It was good to see you the other day. Uh, every time I'm in northwestern New Jersey, um, I try and make it a point for us to budget some time so I could drop by, even if it's for a few minutes. Uh, you guys have a right, awesome... Yeah, it's always great seeing you. I'm sorry? I said it's always great seeing you. I always appreciate when you stop by. Well, thank you. Uh, the Level 1 games is busy. Every time uh, I drop by, there's something going on. There's a role-playing game or a board game or a card game. Um, uh, you guys have really built up that aspect uh, of your experience. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been putting a lot of time and effort into into building, you know, it's a community. It is a community at the end of the day. I was just talking to my uh, my other partner in crime, if you will, how, uh-huh. um, how you know, there was a person that came into the store, and I only see him, you know, once or twice a week. But, you know, I feel like he's my friend, and, you know, we sit down and we talk and we, and we hang out, and then we go our own separate ways until the next week, and then we catch up on our weeks and, and say hello. You know, you build a nice community when – when you mm-hmm. when you put something like this together, very true. Um, and what t- you're playing Dungeons and Dragons primarily with the uh, role playing games, or are there other role playing games you're playing as well? Um, at the moment, uh, at the it's moment, only um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons at the moment. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's no, you know plans yet to move into other things but um our dm is really good so um if he has you know some wild plans then i'm sure that we would be more than happy to go along with it and what type of campaign are you currently running is it in the fifth edition uh uh, world or uh the forgotten realms or a mistara um it is it's fifth it was the fifth edition he was running the um uh, it's just like one from the book, like just like uh, the basic, one of the basic ones. Okay. Um, but uh, he has since moved on. I forget what he chose. They were between a few, uh, between uh, Curse of Strahd and a few other ones. Um, I'm not oh, sure what they ultimately landed on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, I think they're about to start that this week, this Sunday. And how often do they meet to, to play the role-playing game? And how can somebody get involved in that if uh, uh, they can get to level one games? Um, so D&D is run every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Um, John is our, uh, is our DM, and uh, he came to us, actually. He heard that we were looking for, for a DM, and, uh, and he's really good with uh, people that have no experience at all, which is a decent amount of our play group uh, has no experience um, when it uh-huh. comes to, to D&D. Um, so that's kind of why we chose him. I mean, he's been doing it for for years, years, 10, 15 years. Um, so w- when he needs to be, you know, easy, for lack of a better word, for, for the newer players, he's really good mm-hmm. at adapting to that. But there's also, you know, we have very skilled veterans that play as well. So John knows how to, you know, make it still very good for them. 
That is awesome because that requires a bit of an introduction. I I remember it took me uh, way back at the dawn of the hobby. It took me uh, a few years to really understand (laughs) what it was all about. I I found uh, Dungeons & Dragons very confusing, uh, and it wasn't until I picked up Tunnels and Trolls uh, by Ken St. Andre that I finally got it. And then after that, I played with other systems for years. But uh, um, I wish there was somebody back then that could have walked me through the, the process. Right. Yeah, he's really good. And it's it's fun to watch because, you know, when I always think of D&D, I always think of, you know, sitting down with, a, you know, a pencil and paper and, you know, books and books and books stacked high with, you know, with all with all your spells and everything. But, you know, now that it's, you know, the future, if you will, um, there's still, you know, we still have our character sheets that we, you know, erased and scribble and stuff on. But now everybody or a lot of people bring, you know, a laptop or, or like a little tablet and mm-hmm. all their spells are right on there. They can just quickly search like, oh, I want to do, you know, Fireball or, or whatever. They can quickly search up and it's right, you know, it's right at your fingertips, right, right ready to go. It's interesting to watch because the, the two dichotomies of, you know, there's still pencil and paper and you're still scribbling and erasing, but, you know, <laughs> then you have your your future tablet sitting next to you that you can just, you know, pull up what you need. I feel like a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is awesome that you have that. And also I saw a lot of uh, like fantasy board games. There were, there were a bunch of them on the the wall. Which board games do you have? uh, Do you switch the board games or do you have like one particular uh, board game that uh, people come back for? Like I remember back in the day, it was uh, Talisman by Games Workshop. Uh, that was kind of like uh, an yeah, end. Games Workshop is still around. <laughs> uh, still around or? Oh, yeah. Yep. Awesome. Um, yeah, so th- that's literally what we just finished doing. Me and uh, a group of four other people were just sitting down playing board games. That's exactly what we were doing <laughs> just now. Um, oh, awesome. Which type of board <laughs> games are you playing in uh, level one? Um, so today we played, um, it's a game called Dominion, where it's like, uh, it's a, it's a deck building game where you're buying okay. special cards from the bank that lets you do other things. It's just about getting victory points and whoever has the most victory points at the end of the game wins, but it's about building up your deck to create a good, like, uh, engine to get those victory points to be able to pay for them. Um, so we played that, which it's quick when we know, when you know what you're doing. Uh huh. Played that. Um, there's another game called Nevermore, which is uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, themed, like okay. card uh, drafting, drafting, trading kind of game. Um, and then uh, what else did we play? Oh, we played uh, a game called Forbidden uh, Forbidden Island. There's a few. There's Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, and Forbidden Sky is a new one. But we played Island where you're, Island. Uh, a group of uh, it's really good. Um, it's uh, it, it's meant to be difficult, um, but uh, your group of explorers that go to an island that's sinking, but you're greedy, so you're trying to get all the treasures off the island before one of you dies or before the uh, before the island sinks. So it's a cooperative game. Like the other games are, are competitive, but that one is cooperative, so you got to work together and communicate really well. I've seen that advertised, and I've actually seen it, like even in Target, I believe, and in uh, in Walmart. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a widely available game. 
but I, 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 my time is kind of limited in what I can actually uh, play. Um, like a lot of, uh, I, I run um, a role-playing game in a library, um, and I've been doing right. that decades now in different libraries um but uh i don't really have a chance to play as much as i would like anymore so that intrigued me and i read the back of the box and it intrigued me uh, but so you're saying it's a great game that's that's good to know yeah it's a fun game that that we go back to because uh, i mean once you know how to play the first game you know it'll probably take an hour or so but you know we, we finish the game in in 20 minutes maybe so it's a good quick game once you know what you're doing but it, it, it's it's a little upsetting sometimes because the game is out to get you. It, it's meant to be <laughs> difficult, you know? Yeah, because yeah, the continent is sinking, and uh, so you might sink uh, with right. it. I, I could exactly. see that being uh, like a, a good side quest for uh, for the Greek mythology <laughs> games. Call the island Atlantis uh-huh. or the Atlantean things and have them go on there and see who survives, and they'll have to work together like in the role-playing uh, game. So I'm going to give that one a try. Um, um, yeah. And uh, card games too. I know that you you have uh, um, Magic the Gathering and uh, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and uh, all that uh, uh, type of stuff. Which card games are popular now? And I know you guys play them in the store. Right. Um, so Magic the Gathering is still by far the, uh, the the most popular for our store. I think it's the most popular game in, in general for card games. But for, for our okay. store, it's definitely Magic the Gathering. Um, and, and then there's also a game called Dragon Ball Super, which is based off of Dragon Ball. Um, okay. That's very, very popular for us as well, along with Pokemon as well. So there are the, the role-playing games, competitive and cooperative board games, card games. What other type of games do you play at level one? Um, there's also video game tournaments. As well, we started off oh, at the video awesome. game store with the with with the plan of getting into cards and board games, and you know we've gotten there now. But uh, it started off as a video game store. So uh, today, along with board games that we were playing, there was also um, uh, Super Smash Brothers just came out with a new game for the Nintendo Switch called Smash Ultimate. Um, so okay. we had uh, a big tournament. We had a big tournament for that. I think there was you know ten or twelve people for that tonight. Um, so that we is play, awesome. uh, Smash. Yep, we played Smash Ultimate on Mondays, and then on Wednesdays, um, there's another Super Smash Brothers game called Smash Melee, which came out for the GameCube, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. Um, so that's on Wednesdays. So we do two Smash tournaments a week, plus, uh, you know, just random, if we feel like doing, you know, a Call of Duty or a Halo or FIFA or something like that, we'll, you know, we'll do one of those every once in a while. But mostly it's uh, Smash, you know, Smash tournaments. And there, there are always new games uh, coming out. And uh, one of the things I love about your store is that you have a lot of the old hard-to-find games uh, uh, in stock. And there are treasures in the, uh, the discount, the loose disc bin all the time. Whenever I've looked for there, yep. I found something. And it's like, ooh. And then I look at the price. So it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I've, had with I've suffered a tragedy recently. My PS2 uh, died. Uh, I had uh, dropped it, but it fell on a rug. And that's happened before. And I figure, okay, it'll be okay. Uh-huh. But the, uh, um, the card that saves the games, uh, it wouldn't register. Uh, and then uh-huh. when I tried playing a DVD movie in it, um, uh, later on, uh, it kept freezing like in the middle of the, the movie. 
So uh, that's uh, it for my PS2. And uh, uh, PS3s are not backward compatible. So uh, Right, yeah, only a, only a few of them are. Yeah, if you can kindly uh, let me know which ones are, I'm going to go on a quest to try to find one. Because uh, I've been playing PS3 games, and although they're enjoyable to me... My PS2 games and my PS1 games, I like I like those a lot better. They're, graphic wise, they're not as good, um, and uh, the older games are you know, uh, primitive now. But I grew up and was a young adult during that gameplay, so for me, that's gameplay. Uh, the, the other stuff sometimes right. is too cinematic for me, and I you know, kind of get lost in it. Um, so, uh, uh, oh, that is awesome. I will look for those uh, PlayStation 3s then that are backward compatible. Do they go back to one also yeah, or just two? Yeah, so the way that they work is uh, the original launch uh, model PS3s, um, I think it's a 20 gigabyte and 60 gigabyte models, I think. Okay. Don't quote me on it, but um, those whatever the original, original ones are, those are backwards compatible with PS2 and PS1. Um, they're, you know, hardware emulated. There's like a PS2 inside of it, basically. Um, and then they, the newer ones after that model released, and they weren't PS2 backwards compatible, but they're all PS1 backwards compatible through software emulation. So to, to find the original, original, one that's backwards compatible uh, with PS2 is is decently hard to find. That still work because the lasers are known to be really bad on them. Um, okay. So they do catch uh, a you know a pretty penny. Um, so but if you find I one, they're actually, they're really good. I might actually have that. My my son got me a very very early on. He got me like a really early uh, PlayStation Three uh, because Conan was coming out. Uh-huh. So. Uh, he knows how uh, impassioned I am about uh, sword and sorcery uh, in general and Conan in particular. Uh, so he got me like right. a PlayStation 3 when they first came out. Um, so okay. I might I mean, have that, one then. So I should just stick discs in it and see what happens, I guess. Yeah, yep. Um, believe it or not, I actually have one of those in my back seat of my car. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I ha- the, the, the model number is CECHB01. Is, so if you look on the back of the PlayStation 3, there's a serial number and a model number and stuff. Okay. So that, that's one of them that is backwards compatible. B-E-C-H-D-0-1. B-X-0-1. Okay. <laughs> I will look after uh, the show finishes. Night night. Um, we had uh, some calls coming in during the last segment, which is very unusual because uh, uh, just about everybody knows when I'm hosting the shows, not to call me. But uh, uh, after I return those calls, I will check the back of my box. I will put a PlayStation 2 disc in it, a PlayStation 1 disc in it, just see what happens. The worst yep. is nothing happens. So, yep. And uh, so I'm, I'm where I was. Yep. Um, I'm really yeah, it'll, excited. It'll, it'll play PS1. So. Oh, Awesome. Um, I'm really excited about uh, our um, making the segment regular. Uh, this time does work for you the second Monday of the month from 10:30 to 11. Yep. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Uh, uh, we're gonna we'll come up with a format or something, and this way uh, uh, it'll breeze uh, by, and uh, um, every uh, episode will have some features that are similar. And uh, you know, think about. Um, how you can best uh, 
um, focus attention on all the great things that you guys are doing. Because uh, every time I come there, I'm surprised. You know, it's different than, mm-hmm. than the time I was in the store uh, before. And not that I'm there frequently, but I'm there often enough where where there shouldn't be that much uh, dramatic change. But it's like watching right. a metamorphosis right in front of my eyes, and it, it is incredibly uh, awesome. Yeah, that, that that's our business plan, you know, to always be, you know, shifting and shaping into into stuff that, that we think is cool. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, when people buy stuff, it's great, but I like walking in and seeing the cool stuff that we have. Um, like, we just started selling um, figures and uh, Gundams, if you're familiar with those. Um, the uh-huh. little model kits that you put together, the big, like, mech robots. Um, yes, yes. So we, we, got, we, we got them in... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we ordered, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of, of inventory, and th- there's one left <laughs> only already. Wow. So, 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 so they've been selling like crazy, and uh, we're gonna get more tomorrow. So, I'm, I'm super awesome. excited, super excited for that. Yeah, because I, I like, you know, like I said, like we, we buy stuff that that we like. So hopefully yeah. other people like it too, and they and it seems to have worked. So we're not gonna mess with the formula too much. No, it it, it uh, I saw the fantasy figures too. One of the times uh, I came in, I said, "Okay, next time I come, I'll pick up some fantasy figures." Uh, and then when I came back, they were all gone. So I know that they're moving. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also told myself, "See, if you snooze, you lose. You know, you gotta uh, yeah. you know, hop on them faster." Yeah, but that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, if you see it, like you should get it. You know, I'm not not trying to be a salesman, but if you see it, you should you gotta buy it. So it might not be here by the time we get back. And in the immediate future, um, where are you moving into? What new things are you bringing into the store uh, that we can expect in the immediate future? Aside from the Gundams. Um, right, yeah, immediate future. Um, the Gundams was the big thing. So the next thing is trying to find the next thing. Um we're, you know, we're still going to be kicking around with magic and, and Pokemon and Dragon Ball and video games and board games and stuff. Um, the, the next big, big thing would probably be uh, Warhammer, if you're familiar with that, the big tabletop. Yes, I'm familiar with it. You know, with the, with the little, right. Um, that, so the that's a huge investment. Brain. Yep, miniatures, exactly. Um, but that, that's a big investment, and that's a lot of space. So like mm-hmm. you know my my dream would be to the 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 store next to us is empty unfortunately for the people that used to own it but it would be um amazing for us to be able to blow out a wall and buy that place and then just have a huge space for playing for Warhammer and cards and stuff that's that's a, that's a long term dream goal there but uh but for the future but- um m- more toys and stuff we like to have toys and everything so that's probably what's it's right around the corner. And there are a lot of exciting toys and, and games. Toys and games have kind of evolved uh, greatly over the past few uh, years as well. Um, even Masters of the Universe, which uh, I remember I, I was an mm-hmm. adult when that came out and my son was watching the cartoons. Um, but that too, there's like all these Masters of the Universe uh, figures that are expensive as hell. And <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff. <laughs> But they're very impressively made. 
um, and uh, a, a lot of uh, TV show uh, and cartoon uh, board games and card games. And uh, it seems like anything you'd like to experience uh, is slowly coming into being and you could enter these different worlds through, uh, you know, different mechanisms. It's, very, it's a very exciting time to be involved in what you're involved in. Yeah, it, it's great that, you know, um, that that this stuff has gotten more popular because, like you said, it gives you, oh, I see this on TV or in a movie. I like this world that these people have created. Oh, oh, there's a cool tabletop board game. Oh, my God, okay, this it delves into this story. Um, so it, it gives you more time to be in a world that you like and, and get to experience right. different things that you might not have had a chance to experience. Oh, very true, and and that's uh, the 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 immersiveness of the experience is uh, uh, awesome. You know that that you can, if you like spending time somewhere in a bunch of movies or uh, in a show, uh, that uh, in your spare time with other people, you can immerse yourself uh, in it. You know, uh, with the video games, unless they're cooperative uh, gameplay, you're still by yourself, kind of. Uh, but with the tabletop games and the cooperative uh, morgue type of things, you're there with other people. So you you can experience right. these worlds uh, not on your own, but with others who are as passionate as you are. And that, that is incredibly awesome. Right. Yeah, like, I love video games. Don't get me wrong. I play all the time. Me and my friends play all the time. But there's something, you know, that's, that's really great for, for your mind when you sit down with a group of your friends around the table and, and get to experience a, either a new board game or one that you've played a thousand times, but it's still, you know, it's still endless amount of, of, of fun. You know, like, like, like we've talked previously that, that, you know, I've had some problems in, in the past and some stuff that has happened to me that's, you know, really unfortunate. And, mm-hmm. you know, b- being able to sit with my friends around the table and, and, you know, kind of forget about stuff and just get immersed into into the thing that you're doing at the moment, you know, whether it's escaping to, you know, like, like we were playing some space game, trying to get away from a black hole, you know, today, um, just, you know, just, just to get away and, and to have fun for a while and, you know, escape real life, I guess, if you will. I don't know if it's an escape from, uh, from real life. Uh, uh, cause, because we dream, and in our dreams, our our struggles don't go away, but they kind of take alternate forms and you kind of digest them. Uh, I find it's the same for watching something like a movie or reading a book or playing a game uh, that often you're not really escaping. You're just taking uh, uh, whatever your challenge is to another level. And uh, uh, with gaming especially, you're winning, you're triumphing. So that feeling of triumph bolsters you as you confront, you know, your more mundane uh, challenges. So I've always seen like uh, games and books and movies and television, other uh, entertainments like that uh, uh, as a way of um, strengthening yourself and giving yourself a resolve. I really, really like the way that, that the way of looking at it like that. That's really, that's a great way to think about it, actually. And they just informed me that they're going to cut us off <laughs> in less than a minute and a half. <laughs> Tim, okay. thank you very much. Uh, I put links to your uh, Facebook, uh, to uh, Level One's Facebook and Level One's uh, website. Is there any other contact information right. you'd like me to include? Um, no, that, that, that's that's great. Yeah, just you know, LevelOneGames.com and 
our Facebook and our Instagram and everything. But, but, but once you once you find the Facebook, you can, everything is available from there. Our phone number and everything. So. Okay, fantastic. I look forward to our speaking again next month and to seeing you before then. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Okay, be well, my friend, and thanks to all who've tuned in today. Until next time, this is Hercules and Tim wishing you joyous journeys and grand adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>